future of RSS is a much debated thing in the world of podcasting. While some see this bedrock technology of the industry to date as the very thing that is also holding back the medium from truly hitting the mainstream, others see it as something that is central to the very existence and being of podcasting and should be preserved at all costs. One thing is certain, as podcasting matures, develops and professionalizes, we need to have a proper grown-up conversation about RSS and its future and how it can be developed into a place that meets podcasting needs in 2023 and beyond. Hopefully, today is one such conversation. I'm Jim Salverson and on this episode of VoiceWorks Sound Business, I'm joined by the editor of Podcasting Bible Pod News and audio futurologist James Cridland, and also the editor of the website for business podcasting, PodPod, Adam Shepard, who sits on either side of this RSS debate. We're going to talk about the challenge to open podcasting, the potential developments available within RSS, and why Apple, Spotify and YouTube might want to take a different approach and move away from the traditional form of podcast distribution. Hopefully, loads of information that can help you make up your own mind on what the future holds for RSS. I'm going to start with you, Adam. There's a lot of clamour at the moment around changes to RSS, a suggestion that RSS itself is holding back the development of the industry. What's at the heart of this argument? So at the heart of this argument for me is metrics. Metrics and measurement of podcast performance is something that has been a persistent issue when talking to uh, not just podcast advertisers, but podcasters themselves. Now, RSS has been around for a really long time, and it has been crucial for the growth of the wider podcast industry. But it's a little bit antiquated as a standard at this point. The last release was almost 14 years ago, and there have been efforts to modernize it since then. There's things like the podcast namespace and uh, open podcast index, and that, that provides a really useful framework. But RSS fundamentally is a one-way system. It's only designed for sending out data fundamentally. And that makes it really, really difficult to track podcast performance in the same way that we can track other media formats. So mm. things like online video, for example, is much more trackable. Even normal website uh, traffic through tools like Google Analytics and other web analytics platforms, they offer a lot more granularity in terms of what can be tracked and how. And it's the kind of information that Advertisers are looking forward to plan campaigns, but it's also the kind of information that podcasters really are starting to need in terms of optimizing their content strategy and their marketing strategies for building their podcasts into more business kind of business sure. level projects. 
I want to come back to data in a little bit because it is undoubtedly one of the challenges in podcasting, particularly from a commercial angle, the work we do with the Sports Social Podcast Network, when we're trying to convince people who are used to a traditional digital cell to move their budgets into podcasting, they expect that same kind of data coming back. And at the moment, as you say, there are some challenges there. But for you, James, I mean, RSS has been the bedrock of the podcasting industry for years and years. And it's understandable that a lot of people are wedded to it because of its heritage. Is there an element of sentimentality that's providing a challenge, a blocker, an objection to the change? Um, I think in terms of RSS, not necessarily sentimentality. I think it's a fundamental goal of podcasting of whether or not it wants to be open or closed. So the first RSS feed was published on January the 20th, 2001. So it's uh, well over 20 years old now. And obviously it has undergone uh, changes uh, since there have been new uh, categories and new tags um, put in by Apple in many different um, uh, changes over the years. and, uh, you know, I mean, even even the image, the thumbnail wasn't in the original uh, spec. So it's clearly a changeable format. But I think at the end of it, we need to look at, do we want podcasting to be open? Do we want podcasts to be available everywhere? Or do we want to force podcasts into a closed platform where the only place that you can have a listen to a podcast is Spotify or uh, you know, the Apple Podcasts app or something, mm. which uh, then gives uh, a little bit more data uh, back. And it's really that conversation, open versus closed, which is the conversation that we're having here, not necessarily whether RSS is the right plan or not. I want to come back to the open podcasting thing in a little bit as well, but I think it's important to maybe understand a little bit about where RSS has come from and what it's done for the industry. And I think, James, you're the perfect person to do that. I mean, RSS was, I mean, it was kind of an accident it being used for podcasting in the first place, wasn't it? And in, would we be in the same place now if it wasn't for using that technology? There are other, other, other things that could have been used that retrospectively you look back on and go, oh, if, if that had been adopted, we'd be in a better place now. Yeah, I mean, certainly when you have a look back at uh, what was used, you know, partially the reason why RSS came into being for podcasts is that um, Adam Curry, who was an MTV DJ at the time, ended up writing a blog post called The Last Yard, which um, you'll, you'll, you'll find on the Pod News uh, w- website. And that blog post didn't mention podcasting at all because that name hadn't been invented yet, but mentioned the idea of using this new idea of having internet permanently attached to your house and how could you possibly use that? Uh, So, you know, we need to kind of remember where all of this has uh, come from. So absolutely, you know, it was a certainly a a solution of its time. But I think both Dave Weiner, the software engineer that uh, came up with the technical standard and Adam were both trying to make sure that this was an open technology Mm. um, and um, trying not to. It would have been very easy and in fact, Audible had already been doing podcast-like things with Robin Williams um, uh, a couple of years earlier. But that's one company running their own platform, which of course isn't quite the same as where we are now, where, you know, 
podcasts are available on all kinds of different things. So I think, you know, from that point of view, yeah, there is a little bit of history in there. We certainly wouldn't start with RSS now. We'd probably start with uh, tedious JSON feeds and all that kind of uh, stuff. And we might not necessarily even start with um, downloadable audio. It might be streaming Mm. uh, at this point. But I think the fact that we have come from a place where it was downloadable audio, first and foremost, with no, you know, DRM, and it was, you know, a simple, straightforward RSS feed, which had already been used for six or seven years to share, you know, information with uh, other websites is, I think, how we got to where we've got to now. I think it's quite sobering to look back at 2001 and think what was available to us in terms of technology then, because it feels like yesterday. And yet at the same time, it was... yeah. Hotmail email accounts, <laughs> dial-up internet almost. It was, it was like a different world. I want to talk about the data yes. side of things first, because undoubtedly, as we touched, it's an issue in podcasting at the moment from a commercial point of view. I think users want more data in order to kind of manipulate their content and target their audiences better. For you, Adam, does that need to be a change for RSS? Could there be some steps made towards getting better data if people like Apple and Spotify were more transparent with the data that they get from their users? I mean, that would absolutely be a help, to be sure. But that is, for starters, only treating one of the sort of lesser symptoms of the problem, as I see it, with RSS as a standard. And just before we go any further, let me be absolutely clear. I'm not arguing for RSS to be scrapped altogether. I think it's an excellent standard that does what it was designed to do very, very well. The problem, I think, is that RSS should be modernized. But in terms of the platforms, Apple and Spotify, being more open with their data, that is still leaving a hostage to fortune because that's relying on them choosing what they share with the kind of wider community and the wider industry and they already have quite a lot of power and control within the podcast industry and i'm really not sure that building a greater degree of control for them into the infrastructure that the podcast industry relies on is ultimately a Mm. wise decision i guess that element of control leads into what you were saying earlier james about rss kind of being one of the things that keeps open podcasting alive i think it's probably worth Mm. explaining firstly what you mean by open podcasting for people who don't know what that term means and also why open podcasting is important for the future of the industry Well, so if you look at uh, video, for example, then either you'll find a TV show on YouTube or you'll find it on the iPlayer or you'll find it on, you know, ITV Hub or whatever that thing is called these days, but you won't find it everywhere. And so you end up having to have 30 different uh, links to different apps just to find a TV show that you might want to watch. With podcasting, that's always been different. With podcasting, it's always been completely open. Any podcast, if it's a proper podcast, any podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, as you might have heard. Um, And uh, that means that um, the consumer is in charge rather than the content owner. And that's a good place to be in terms of making sure that podcasts are available, you know, on watches and on, you know, fridges and on televisions and everything else. So, you know, open podcasting is a very important thing. And there's also, you know, the Americans will go on about 
free speech and um, uh, making sure that you can't close people down and all of that, which is uh, fine if, you know, I find that uh, argument a little bit specious, to be honest. But you've got that kind of side of it. And that obviously means that from the point of view of the data that you get back from apps, because there are hundreds of people making apps, you're not going to get people who are giving that kind of information back to individual podcasters because uh, quite a lot of you know software developers find all of that sort of tracking quite creepy and there's also legal implications you know in terms of that we've actually got some really good tech in terms of monitoring firstly how many people are downloading podcasts but also when you have a look at the Apple Podcasts Connect dashboard when you have a look at the Spotify for Podcasters mm. dashboard you can see exactly how long people have listened you can see where people have skipped you can see all of that kind of information and you can obviously work out from that that's a pretty good sample uh, in terms of the size of those two apps so you can work out an awful lot of information from that and then of course you've got the the artist formerly known as uh, pod sites now known as spotify ad analytics but also a bunch of other attribution and measurement uh, tools which can even follow you from listening to a podcast to visiting a, a website so you can actually attribute uh, a website visit or indeed a purchase to hearing that particular podcast hearing that particular ad on a show so we've actually got quite a lot of this data the question is when you have a look at some of the former solutions of this npr came up with this thing called rad and rad which stood for remote audio data i think they were hoping that podcast apps would build in this tracking tool that would send information back to the podcaster and uh, the podcaster would basically put these little uh, hidden codes in the in the audio, which you can do through ID3 tags, very dull and very tedious. But what that would essentially mean is that you could tell which ad was heard by which listener, and uh, you could then report back on that sort of information. Now, that's perfectly possible within RSS. Where it's not possible is that Spotify don't want to do it. Apple don't want to do it. Loads of other podcast apps were saying, well, we're, we're not going to spy on our users. So you ended up with this position where there was one podcast app out there which supported this rad tool from the number one podcaster in the US at the time. But isn't that one of the great things and the challenges with RSS in, in equal formats? One, yes. it's, it's standardization, so it's easy to develop and it's easy to innovate because you're not having to reinvent the wheel all the time. But on the other mm, side, mm. what you need to drive development is a consensus amongst everyone because otherwise it's just not adopted on a mass basis. Yes, yes. Which, of course, is the difference between having 300 podcast apps out there, some mm. of which are amazing, some of which do really clever, interesting things, some of which are built just for, for drama uh, podcasts or just for podcasts in the, in the German language. You can do an inordinate amount of exciting things with that. But if you want 100% of the data, then what you're basically saying is you need two or three podcast apps which are going to implement all of this. Mm. And we shouldn't forget that podcasting is tiny in comparison to radio. And the way that radio works out its audience figures is, by and large, it's asking about 100,000 people every year, which is a pretty big number. But they're asking those people to fill out a paper diary and to, <laughs> and to send it back. Radio does pretty well out of that. So we kind of look at 
podcasting, which has so much more data. And, and uh, you know, f- from my point of view, I'm there going, well, hang on a minute. Well, you know, what's wrong with radio? What's wrong with mm. Barb for TV? Those are still doing a pretty good job in terms of the data that is actually available to them. And those, um, you know, and that, and that market is still pretty large. The thing with those types of measurement, though, and I, I totally agree, it is a massive cognitive dissonance that the advertising industry as a whole doesn't seem to be okay with the level of podcast metrics and measurement that we have, despite the fact that, you know, in many ways they are better than Barb and the, the radio surveys and mm. whatnot and more reliable. But that cognitive dissonance exists. It's something that keeps advertisers away from the medium. The thing that radio and TV have that podcasting doesn't, by and large, is mass scale and mass reach. And also the sort of prestige and heritage that come with being many decades older than podcasting and Mm. much more well-established. So advertisers are much more willing to overlook the deficiencies in measurement that come with those formats. And the fact is they're just not at the moment for podcasting. And if we want podcasting to continue growing commercially and to continue being a viable media format and a viable industry for all of us to make our living in, then we need to reckon with the fact that advertisers are demanding a different level of metrics and information. And just to uh, go back to your point around the measurement tools that we already have, particularly things like the Apple Podcasts dashboard, uh, Apple Podcast mm. Connect, I should say, uh, dashboard and Spotify for podcasters and Spotify ad analytics and whatnot. Those are all useful tools in isolation, but they're all third-party tools and they're all, to my mind, kind of layered over the top of RSS rather than baked into it at a, a kind of at a base level. And it means that you have to then, if you, if I'm a podcaster and I want to track my, you know, my consumption information, which I can only do across Apple Podcast Connect and Spotify for podcasters, I have to log into two separate dashboards, mm. both of which measure things slightly differently. I mm. have to export those numbers. I have to try and reconcile those numbers. And then I have to somehow work out how to apply that to the analytics that I get from my hosting provider, which in a lot of cases will not really match up on any sort of metric to those figures because everyone measures things slightly differently because there's no standardization between them. And that is, frankly, a pain in the ass for podcasters. <laughs> and it makes it really hard to get a granular, accurate level mm-hmm. of information in yes. the way that certainly I've found frustrating. Jim, where do, where do you stand with I, with the IAB then? Because surely the IAB should have fixed all of this. Yeah, completely. It just needs standardisation. And I, I, do, I wonder whether there is an argument for almost like you need a governing body for podcasting, which is never going to happen because it would just lumped in with the likes of Ofcom and then how do Ofcom manage mm. something that is multi-location rather than just being UK-based. But I do wonder whether it comes back to the kind of the way we sell podcasting as much as the the way we deliver metrics because i think podcasting is often aligned to a digital cell and the expectations for a digital cell are much greater than mm. for the media cell yes. like the likes of radio and television so i think it's two things isn't it there's data but there's also 
expectations that need to be managed from a consumer point of view and how do we sell podcasting do we sell podcasting as a brilliant communication tool a fantastic way to deliver messages yeah. to niche audiences or do we sell it on the look you can target people in these locations in these places in these age groups yeah now i you know so i i think there's two things I, i'm in real agreement with one of the things that's that i'm in real agreement with is standards and what we really need is we need the equivalent of the podcast advertising bureau a specific body for podcasting not the iob because they don't really care about us they care about other things so let's focus on our own stuff and have a podcast advertising bureau probably based in the us but with uh, individual you know mm. chapters across the world and then secondly let's make sure that the standards that we actually set are standards which we lean really heavily on on both Spotify and and on Apple to actually take notice of. Now, being fair, yes. Spotify's numbers are mostly IAB compliant, and um, they do have IAB certification for some of the stuff that they do. Apple, in their you know usual way, has gone well. We're, we're, we're Apple. Why would why would we bother with that? So I think that we do need to make sure that that is uh, you know clearly set. But it does come back to you know that's got nothing to do with RSS, and it comes back to how would you fix this in terms of a separate thing if you're wanting full data and full information about podcasting and podcasting is much more than that and the requirement for innovation is much more than just analytics but if you're requiring analytics then the only way to achieve that is to cut the amount of apps that have the availability to play podcasts so that only apps which have the return path which gives you your individual analytics are the ones that you allow to carry a podcast and that from a point of view of a podcast listener is much the same as the BBC bullying mm. us all to download the BBC Sounds app rather than getting their podcast on the podcast app of my choice. So is, is that the plan, uh, Adam? Is the plan to basically say it's uh, Spotify and Apple and nothing else? Absolutely not. Uh, as I say, I don't think we should scrap RSS altogether. I don't think we should limit how widely RSS is available, either from a consumption point of view or from a distribution point of view. I don't think we should limit who can build on top of RSS because the you know the fact that it's free open standard is a huge part of why there's been so much innovation, so much development, so much growth in the podcast space. Now, I'm not a developer. I don't have a background in software engineering or web development. Uh, I know that you are much more esteemed uh, in this area and much more experienced than I am, uh, James. But in terms of the analytics side of things, I think a really good template for me for how this might work is the podcast namespace project, which for those that aren't familiar is basically an extension to RSS, which adds fields for things like episode transcripts, lists of contributors, donation links, all of this kind of stuff. Now, it's at the moment patchily supported by the podcast consumption apps. Mm. So some have rolled out support for most of the elements within the podcast namespace, meaning that if your podcast has those uh, included in its RSS, they'll show up in that particular app. Others haven't, or they've implemented some of them. 
which means those individual ones will you know show up and be used but all the others are basically just ignored and for me i think that's a good model and i think it's worth mm. us as an industry exploring whether there's some way that we can add a dedicated namespace field for effectively tracking pixels the same way that you see with things like Google Analytics, Facebook Analytics, with Spotify, Spotify Ad Analytics, nay, PodSites has experimented with that. But building mm. that into RSS in a deliberate, systematic way so that podcasters and podcast platforms can choose whether or not they want to engage with it, which is sort of similar to the way RSS prefixes have worked, you know, for a number of years, but on a level that's more built into the RSS document itself. I think that has certainly potential for giving more flexibility in terms of metrics, what metrics connect collected, how they're monitored, because most of the major podcast platforms are seeking ways to lure more advertisers into their ecosystem and giving them better metrics and more detailed information is one of the things that a lot of you know a lot of platforms are exploring we've seen a lot of development in the ad tech space we've seen a lot of partnerships in that regard barometer has been sweeping up on the brand safety side for very similar reasons and i think the I think the major platforms, certainly, and the major consumption apps would be keen to add support for this kind of technology. I think it should absolutely be guided by an organization like the Podcast Standards Project. I think that is the... Yes, if they if they do anything. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> that would be a good start. But yeah, so what what would happen if Apple was to turn around and say, well, we're not going to do that. Why would we do that? I mean, as you say, Apple is Apple, and they are often not super keen to uh, to play ball, as it were. But it's worth remembering that Apple is not the only game in town. Spotify, you know, per, I believe it's Edison's share of ear survey from the start of the year, do correct me if I'm wrong, James, Spotify commands a significant amount more listeners than Apple Podcast does. Apple Podcast has more consumption but spotify has more in terms of headcount of individual podcast listeners now there are you know issues with that classification on both sides but as an illustration of the fact that it isn't just apple podcasts that should be setting the agenda or even apple podcasts and spotify mm -hmm. i think with podcasts gaining more traction if a better tool and a better solution comes along i think people are going to be likely to use it you're nodding along there james with what adam's suggesting in terms of kind of a roadmap going forward but you also hinted at potentially what the problem might be in that it needs the likes of spotify and apple to get on board with the plan does this go back to what you were saying earlier in that actually for those monster tech companies a kind of walled garden approach suits them because they want to keep people within their ecosystems. So that's the challenge you're talking about, that this could be developed to a certain place, but actually for the likes of Apple, Spotify, and let's put YouTube in there as well with their podcasting ambitions. Mm. They want a closed system that they control. 
Yes, well, as you know, uh, Jim, uh, YouTube is nothing to do with podcasting. <laughs> I won't, I won't have you claiming it is. Uh, but, um, but more seriously, yeah, I mean, you know, Spotify. If you were to look at Spotify, obviously they have their own ad tech. They have their own plans. They would much rather that you listened within the Spotify app because they get to learn an awful lot of information. I, I actually did a piece of work earlier on in the year where I asked, thank you, GDPR. Uh, I asked for all of the details that uh, Spotify had on me. Uh, and it turns out that Spotify know, knows what brand of car I drive as one thing, for example, wow. because Spotify has spotted me connecting my phone to the Bluetooth in the car, which says that, that it's a Toyota. And so therefore, I am now in a cohort, which is Toyota drivers. So Spotify knows an awful lot about me. Twitter, by the way, knows every single app that I have installed on my phone. So it knows who I bank with. And it knows whether or not I have a specific medical issue that I have to have a, a, a specific app for. I don't, by the way. But, um, you know, so, so there's a worry. So you can see that Spotify is very clearly, you know, into keeping people within their ecosystem as much as possible. You can also see that uh, Apple is actually a bit more serious about privacy than many of these other companies and has very carefully not given too much away in terms of the users. For example, if you subscribe through Apple Podcasts, you, you know, you pay to get a podcast through Apple Podcasts, then it never shares any of your information with the podcast creator. Indeed, I find it almost incomprehensible to actually even find out how many people are paying uh, from the Apple Podcasts um, tool, um, let alone who they are. So, you know, so I suppose you've got that kind of side of it as well. But I think, you know, broadening it away from just metrics and um, giving metrics back, there's an awful lot of other things that can be done with extensions to RSS. Chapters, you know, Adam has mentioned, he's mentioned um, contributors, transcripts, uh, transcripts super helpful for advertisers as well. So you actually know what's being talked about in a particular show. So all of that kind of information and indeed bypassing advertising altogether with a way of uh, paying a, a, a creator for every minute that you listen to uh, through a thing called value for value. All of that is also perfectly possible with RSS. I think that the thing here isn't the RSS issue and whether RSS is right or wrong. I think it's a, it's a fundamental issue of open versus closed. And if at the end of the day, you end up as a creator making a decision that you only want your podcast on those apps, which give you directly the stats that you want, then you're going to find it quite difficult to operate as a content creator because you're not going to get too many podcast apps who are going to give you that information. Is the open-closed debate one or the other, or could we see a scenario where there is almost like two splinters of the industry, one which is the, I guess you'd have to call it kind of the more commercial, more professional side of podcasting, and one that is the open podcasting, which I guess would be left to the hobbyist side? Well, the thing is... I don't think it is a debate between open versus closed because we did effectively for a number of years have that sort of split tier system that, that you're kind of alluding to. And it, it was Spotify. Spotify put a lot of money and a lot of time into acquiring podcasts, podcast networks, doing big exclusivity deals. And if you look at where we are now, they're backtracking on most, if not all of that. 
a lot of the big exclusive deals that it made have just fizzled out and not been renewed. A lot of the networks that it bought, you know, like Gimlet, Parcast, etc., a lot of those are being put out more widely again after being Spotify exclusive for a significant period. Emma Chamberlain's podcast, which it picked up uh, for an exclusivity deal, I think less than a year ago, is now returning to a kind of wide band release with the exception of video podcasts, which are still going to be exclusive to Spotify. Even Spotify, which was previously, you know, the king of the walled garden, is moving more and more towards a more open and a more sort of maximized reach based kind of business model because it wants to get more people listening to podcasts so it can serve them more ads and you know charge more to its clients for those ads uh, so i don't think that spotify i mean obviously spotify wants to keep as many people on its platform as it can but i don't think it's as strict about sort of trying to enforce that anymore. I mean, you look at Spotify ad analytics, what was pod sites, they could very easily have locked that tool down. So it's like, no, you can only access this if you are running campaigns on Megaphone, on Spotify for podcasters. Mm. You know, we are only going to let it work with podcasts that are exclusive to our platform. And they're not, it's much more open with that. You can use it as far as I'm aware uh, to track podcasts, podcast ad campaigns, I should say, regardless of who you're paying for them or what service you're running them on, which is, you know, a world mm. away from what I would have expected even a year ago from Spotify. Yeah, and, we, and we've seen also, I mean, you know, only this this month we're seeing the closure of the Stitcher app, which, of course, used to have exclusives in there as well. Luminary and a number of years ago, which ended up closing. And again, it was trying to or ended up changing its um, model completely. Again, it was trying to, to be that closed garden. And YouTube, interestingly enough, isn't playing with uh, any of this. Although it's done an RSS ingest trial, it's still not actually moved that forward. YouTube is very much the closed model that we get an awful lot of stats for from an awful lot of detail from. But uh, the uh, numbers at the moment that most uh, audio-only podcasters are seeing are pitiful from YouTube. So, you know, you, you end up with that with that issue as well. And I wonder whether YouTube will actually be the, the platform in a, in a couple of years' time that, uh, you know, again, proves that, um, you, that uh, closed walls and closed gardens don't really work. Before we wrap up, let's do a little bit of future gazing what do we see happening over the next five years in terms of podcast distribution is there a danger as much as changing the current system is there a danger remaining with the current system you can go first adam how do you see it panning out so the ad tech marketplace for podcasts is developing at pace it's getting a lot of investment there's a lot of activity there i don't see that slowing down i see that continuing i am going to predict more consolidation within the market i am going to assume that big platforms and particularly big advertising focused platforms the likes of acast spotify etc are going to keep making acquisitions in the podcast ad tech space to try and kind of make themselves the best platform for advertisers particularly you know direct insertion and programmatic and all of that stuff barometer seems like a company that is poised for acquisition 
sooner rather than later. They've been making partnerships and deals left, right and centre this year. Uh, so that wouldn't surprise me at all. And I think that growth in the podcast ad tech space is going to become more fit and it's going to lead to more smaller podcast platforms getting shut out if they can't provide a similar level of metrics and a similar level of of data essentially for advertisers i don't think rss is going anywhere i don't think we're going to see walled gardens coming into coming into fashion i think youtube is an interesting case i really fervently hope that youtube does roll out the rss ingest uh, tool that you mentioned james and that it puts good development work behind making that as seamless as possible and linking that up with the rest of youtube in a sort of nice way you know tools like rss.com that are doing you know automatic uh, conversion from audio to video with you know waveforms and all that kind of stuff i think if we can get something like that so that audio only podcasts aren't at as much of a disadvantage on youtube i think would be fantastic but you know there are still people that don't want to listen to podcasts in video format in any capacity that want to stick with pure play audio only downloaded podcasts and i don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon Uh, james would you chime with those uh, views Yes, I think I would certainly chime with um, consolidation. I think consolidation is certainly a thing. I I would expect to see much more consolidation in Europe as we're continuing to see. I think consolidation and um, much of the M&A activity has um, calmed down in the, the US quite a lot. I think also we'll see consolidation around podcast apps as well. I think, that, frankly, there are too many podcast apps out there. And I think we will probably see some merging and some um, and some work going on there, both in terms of podcast apps, actually, but also in terms of hosting platforms as well. But I do think as well, oh, and by the way, in terms of YouTube, I'm going to slightly disagree there. I'm going to say that you, uh, podcasting in YouTube will be on Google's uh, dead wall in uh, in about two years. I think that <laughs> Google are going to lose lose interest, as they do with everything. Um, and, um, and uh, I mean, they haven't even launched it outside of the, the US yet. Um, so heaven knows what's going on there. But I do think that we're going to see a growth in different business models. And I think the business model stuff really fascinates me. You you can see people already earning significant sums of money through Bitcoin, uh, listening through value for value, uh, which at the moment is deeply, deeply techy and most certainly not suitable for prime time. But that sort of idea of rewarding podcasters that you listen to for the value that you get from them uh, is a really interesting model. I think we're going to see more of that. I think we're also going to see more different ways of earning money than somebody shouting at you about tiles for 30 seconds in the middle of a in the middle of a podcast and uh you know and i think that you know lots of different ways of earning revenue is always a good thing james adam fascinating to talk to you about the future of rss i'm sure there's much more conversation to be had on this so i'm sure we'll speak again soon but thanks for your time on VoiceWorks sound business thank you thank you Not quite a consensus of opinion, but certainly an illustration of the complications surrounding discussions on the future of RSS and also some of the key goals and objectives from either side that I think we can all agree on that are important for podcasting going forward. 
You can find more from James, Adam, Pod News and Pod Pod, including links to websites, newsletters and all sorts in the podcast description. They are both essential publications if you're serious about your podcasting. Some really interesting articles and news and advice on both websites. Go and check them out. And for whatever part of audio you are interested in, there is no doubt a VoiceWorks sound business episode that will tickle your fancy. Take a look back in the timeline and see what we've got going on and Make sure you're subscribing and following to get future episodes as soon as they're ready. Plus, if you're ready to talk about your audio strategy, then myself and the VoiceWorks team are all ears. You can find us at voiceworks.ai.